Good evening. This is David Munchak with the KREC News Team. We interrupt the previously scheduled broadcast with some breaking news. Tonight, three independent podcasters are looking back at a much-lauded film that's both a love story and a commentary on the sacrifice of personal lives for career. The year? 1987. The director? James L. Brooks. The film? Broadcast News. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconcinimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're checking out how they hold up here today. David, you made it so quickly from the news desk. Ooh, I had to get I had to get back. There was uh, breaking news. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, glad, glad I can finally get here and we can talk movies. That's that my cardio. Job. That cardio is paying off. You're not even breathing heavy. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm I muting up, every second. I'm not talking. I looked up, uh, you know, from my desk on all the the cameras because we have cameras all all over the place at Reconsider Studios, and you were totally Joan Cusacking all the way up to to your booth. Oh, there was it was a a, a circus going on from getting from there to here because like. And I mean, literally, there were seals walking <laughs> through. I mean, we this this studio is crazy. We got all sorts of stuff happening. People at all are times. they're walking across with glass panes of glass. You were sliding under, you know, dr- file drawers and everything. Ostriches, and then and then you know, go go dance. Not go go dancers. What we what were those feathers? Well, some of those maybe. <laughs> just not so, yeah. the, the vaudevillians. Yeah. <laughs> so, but th- here we are. I can't wait to talk movies we're doing we? it that's what we do here is that what we're doing right. we're doing a movie is that yeah what's we're going to talk about movies this week okay yeah nah, which one uh i'm excited to talk about this one it's been on my mind for a while because i have not seen it in so long but uh broadcast news and james l brooks for the first time welcome to the show james l brooks welcome and Ho- that's holly crazy. hunter yeah holly um this is this is these are heavy hitters we're talking about today. Like, they are. It's kind of crazy. So Holly Hunter has also not been on the on the show. I before? don't believe we've had Holly Hunter. I don't believe we've had William Hurt, and I don't believe we've had Albert Brooks. So this is that is I think a first for everybody. Have That's gonna a... be against the law. What is? <laughs> I, how do we even get here without one of the three being in one of these before? I know it's kind of nuts, but this is the first time for everything. So, had we done a James L. Brooks movie yet? No, highly unlikely. Ooh. Maybe one no. he produced, not no. even one he produced. We'll have uh, the internet yeah. check on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but okay. So, uh, looking forward to diving into this one with you guys. Uh, before we do it, let's let's do our our new game: Six Degrees of Reconsidimation. Brent, it's your turn. Throw a movie out there, and David and I will have to connect it in as few moves as possible to broadcast news by the end of the episode. Let's do it. All right. I'm picking this one because I feel like it's a little thematic with the layoffs that happen in this movie. So we're going to go with 1993's Falling Down. Oh. Oh. Okay. Did he get laid off Falling... in that movie? He, loses he does job. get laid off in that movie, and he takes one route one could take if they got laid off. 
unlike the nonviolent, much more calm approach that is taken uh, by our heroes here in broadcast news. Yeah, it's just a sad event uh, in broadcast news versus a. Uh, it's a violent. human. It's a it's a human event. Yes, that's that's a great way to put it. Um, okay, so we will come back at the end of the episode, and we're going to connect falling down to broadcast news. David, what's happening in this movie? Tell us all about broadcast news. Oh, sure. Well, all about it. Uh, <laughs> well, broadcast news from James L. Brooks, uh, who wrote, directed, kind of, he stars in it. No, he's not in it, right? <laughs> no. I, I was looking for him. Uh, I don't think he inserts himself in his work. But um, uh, broadcast news, uh, it features a power trio of broadcast uh, journalism professionals in Washington, D.C., as they navigate careers and love and everything in between. And one of them is not very bright, but gorgeous, uh, or at least TV gorgeous. Uh, another is brilliant and doesn't even know she's beautiful. And the third is Albert Brooks. <laughs> Can these uh, crazy professionals figure out their lives while trying to survive an ever-changing industry? We're going to see in broadcast news. All right, Brent, take yeah. us back. This is a Christmas movie. This is Christmas 1987. I remember it very what? fondly. Oh, it sure is a Christmas movie. Is it a Christmas movie? It's not a Christmas movie. It was Christmas release. It's a Christmas release, not a Christmas yeah. movie. So, I, I stand corrected. It's, a it's holiday, not, it's not Die Hard. It's definitely <laughs> not Die Hard, but it, it's it's a Christmas release for sure. It, uh, yeah. As you said, December, uh, what is it, 24? 5th 1987 uh we got uh ronald reagan as president uh of the united states uh the movie throw mama from the train is like totally kicking it at the box office it's one of the hottest movies out right now um on the radio you're hearing things like rick asley uh whitney houston the pet shop boys bon jovi U two, madonna the uh kind of best TV shows or the most popular TV shows at the time are Columbo. Do you guys remember Columbo? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Peter Falk. Yeah. Just uh, that dude was, thing. that dude was awesome. <laughs> Loved him. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Last of the summer wine. Did anybody, I don't even know what um, that show is. Do you know what that's heard of it? Never Me heard neither. Of it. Me neither. Uh, the Cosby Show and MacGyver were also on at the time and super popular. Other things happening at that time uh, on the video game front, we've got Missile Command, Mario Brothers, Top Gun, Maniac Mansion are all really popular. And the most popular toys at the time are Cabbage Patch Kids, Transformers, and Micro Machines. Yeah. I, guess I remember those ads for Micro Machines with the dude that could talk faster than... With John... Uh, I forgot anything. his last name. John, yeah. he's... he's uh... Guinness Book World Blur Record Holder. in Transformers, the movie, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't think he holds the record anymore, but he did at the time for most words and however long they were giving him to make the record. Yeah. And that's 87, at least late 87. Yep. Um, John, okay, John Moshita. Sorry, John Moshita Jr. Right. John Sorry. Moshita Jr. Broadcast news. When was the first time you guys caught this? Brent, did you? I can't imagine... We were a little young to see this in the theaters, but did you see it at home or, or how'd you, how'd you first see it? I honestly think the first time I saw it was in college, maybe watching it with you, John, but 
I was a huge fan of William Hurt. And so I think I had the tape because I was like starting a William Hurt VHS collection because I was and like, a fan I was, yeah, I was infatuated with the movie Altered States. And so, uh, you know, uh, the big chill, like any of his stuff, like from from kind of the early mid 80s, I was just trying to absorb. And I think this one kind of came across uh, the tape deck if you will, around that time when we were in school and I watched it and thought it was awesome. <laughs> like I loved this movie when we first saw it. I haven't watched it a bunch because I feel like you have to be kind of in the right mindset, but, but rewatching it now, like I fell kind of right back in love with it and it's, but, but I have not seen it a bunch. I had not seen it a bunch going into school. And I think it was just a, a film school kind of catch uh, at the time because of my kind of, obsession with with uh the cast so yeah i'm gonna come back to exactly what you're talking about and give my point of view on okay your, your william hurt thing david what about you is this a first time watch or had you seen it before first time watch uh this was this is in the the pantheon of those 80s workplace movies that i hadn't mm -hmm. seen like like I, it was like this and working girl where i was like i gotta i want to see both of these movies because they have so many good people in them and uh yeah when i was a child back then like i don't care about office workplace you know movies like it's just you know it just wasn't i'm not the target audience right and then i just never got around to it so this was um this was a first time a delightful watch for me uh i gotta say nice that's all and that's all i gotta say <laughs> I have nothing else I, to say. <laughs> yeah, I stayed away from this one when it first came out. I remember seeing, you know, being a kid and seeing like the posters and the ads, and it did get so much attention for like Oscar time and everything, which we'll come back to. But I, it, it looked boring to me. Like there was something about William Hurt that as a kid was just so unexciting. <laughs> like I, I was like, I don't want to watch any William Hurt movie. <laughs> you um, bastard. What are you talking? No, he's very that, understated for sure. I get it. Yeah. And especially for a kid, you know, but, but as I got into, and then I just, I never saw the movie until college when Brent and I were living together at the college of Santa Fe, RIP. Mm. Uh, and you did. Yes, correct. You had the, the, your William Hurt VHS collection that I was like, man, what's with this guy and this William Hurt obsession? Um, Dude, I yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty intense. Sorry, not to interrupt. Go ahead. I didn't end up seeing Altered States until recently, which I I love. I, yeah. I really was so fascinated with that movie. But we did watch uh, broadcast news together, and um, I I it hit. I, there's something about we'll get into this James L. Brooks films that when they're really working, they're so good and they touch such nerves and can really there's something so um, genuine about them and honest that specifically terms of endearment and broadcast news being his greatest films that yeah. uh, are are so, you know, there's such important films that, uh, and then on top of that, you've got these great performances by these great actors and Holly Hunter, especially was just is so fantastic. And, you know, to think about this is only her, really her second movie. It's crazy. Wow. 
Um, yeah, and it's interesting. It again this time, I loved it. Like, loved it just as much, it, it, in, if not more so. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I saw it, I remember the the acting for sure stands out. You know, I mean, they're just, they're so, all, all three of, like, the main characters are just so perfect at the character that they're that they're playing and I, I i think that really you know like if you can get into like just really buying into what the actors are 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 presenting to you like this is a movie that'll really kind of keep you captivated i also found just the action like you you called it i i understand why you would say it was boring to a child like seeing it because i don't feel like I don't really remember the trailers or anything, but I, I I doubt that the trailers were really highly focused on like the producing of news aspect of this. But from a film student standpoint, watching it and seeing like the action of them putting together the news in the newsroom and, and you know, working in what, what we would call at school, like mission command, you mm-hmm. know, like was super, I thought exhilarating. Like I was like, oh man, this scene is like, the timing and the, and the pace and everything it's so like chaotic and and but also so perfectly choreographed you know and it's it's uh, it, for me kind of i bought in 100% i was like mm-hmm. yeah this is great like this is so well put together you know like it it, yeah. it surprised me cuz i was not expecting it from this this movie cuz like you were saying like news right like we have a minute and a half <laughs> It's my responsibility to tell the control room and New York that we won't be ready. Uh-uh, we'll be ready. In 84 seconds? 15 seconds. Oh, God. You're saying, oh, God. Lay it in, Bobby. Back out. They're going to go up and the street will be black, and they're going to go to black because we're not there. What about careers, huh? We're not going to make it. Whoops. Whoops. Who cares? I mean, I think since like, you know, you got things like Sorkin's work with newsroom and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that also kind of capture that same, oh, yeah. same vibrance. But like this, this is really the first one that did that for, for me. Right. And I'm like, wow, this is really, really interesting. Oh, you sure. Three, three very different perspectives on it. You've got the, you know, perspective from the news producer, you've got perspective from the news reporter and then from the anchor. So it's three yeah. different angles about what's going on and all the behind the behind the scenes stuff's amazing. I um I was involved in high school with our local like student run news, you know, news show, news, you know, program. Sure. That was broadcast locally. And I started I think I had done almost every position except editor in that. Like I was cameraman out in the field doing like weather and sports out you know, out somewhere on our high school campus. And then I was, I was the director for a while. And then I was the anchor. So like, I was kind of seeing a lot of different perspectives too. And I loved doing that. And I wish so much that one of my best friends, uh, Pat was the co-anchor with me and we had the best time. So I wish there were still tapes in existence of it. I did some broadcast journalism in high school as well for our high school television station i did none of that we didn't have any of that <laughs> what we didn't you have didn't... any of that shit i went to went to dumb private high school and that didn't have any money anyway either like so oh. was, 
You would have been I say private. It, it was a Catholic high school. We, there was no money. <laughs> there was nothing. They, they got a bunch of nuns living in poverty to teach us, you know, mm. <laughs> walk around where like, they couldn't put together a TV show, swat your knuckles. Yeah. Oh, there's a ruler on the knuckles all the time. Yeah. No, no, no TV show, unfortunately. But that's okay. So, okay. Where does broadcast news stand in the pantheon of film today? Do people talk about this movie? Is it, do you think it's still relevant? Um, how accessible do you think it is to modern crowd? It's pretty, I think it's pretty accessible. If you, if you put this in front of everyone, I don't think you would have to modify this too much. Um, it, it does show its age and obviously in certain spots, not, and not just because it's about like the changing of media. I mean, obviously the media landscape doesn't look anything like it does in that, uh, today than it does in that movie. So you can cut, you'd have to tweak that part, but the, it's the relationships that are the core of the movie. So it, that that's none of that really has to change. There's probably a little more modern, um, things you could you could change about sort of like certain attitudes uh coming from the from the males in the movie but other than that i mean there's like every character so solid uh and uh that i I don't know i think i think this is relatable still today i just i just don't know if anyone's talking about it right yeah i don't i i mean you know for a person who's been obsessed and studied film for for however many years now, there's a lot of quotable lines that I feel like you, that I've heard a ton, but I don't know that like general audiences would, I don't think that new audiences are definitely going to like make the connection. I do think that you, something that I found this time watching is, you know, now that I'm older and I've worked in like an environment with, you know, like corporate and just a office environment in general. Like, I think that it can speak to people on, on, that kind of note, right? Like I think anybody who's had like an office job of any sort, like can see some of the relationships and some of the like um, candor between, between your, your office workers and things like that. I think that's all still relatable. Like it doesn't seem out of date. I mean, I think to, to David's point, like maybe there's a couple instances where characters are a little too comfortable with each other, like in an office environment. But mm. like, I, I also don't think it goes, it's, it's not so egregious that I felt like uncomfortable in any way, like some of the other movies that we, that we see from, from, you know, the seventies and what, and whatnot, we were just like, Oh my God, like that could never be made the way that yeah. it's made now, mm -hmm. you know? Um, are you talking about Megaforce again? <laughs> no, dude, what? <laughs> Megaforce is completely on the level. <laughs> Won't cha um, wouldn't change a thing <laughs> not at all <laughs> gold spit uh anyway um yeah but I, I i feel like with this like for me now that i'm older i don't know that it's going to resonate with younger audiences because of all the change in media and just life in general right like just the way you know like the yeah. world is a different place now than it certainly was then and all and basically on all aspects of of media and news and and things like that it's a completely changed environment but i think anybody older who's worked in an office like if you haven't seen this like you would still really like it and enjoy it and relate to it and could take something away from it yeah i think um yeah i think you're right i i don't think the movie speaks really to a young crowd i don't think there's 
you haven't enough life experience really at, at a certain point to like really get your head into this movie. You know, I think you need to have gone through a little bit, been in the working world because part of what they, this movie to me really nails it in two different ways. You know, that corporate environment, that corporate, you know, mostly like Holly Hunter's drive for real news, real important stories that actually mean something and say something and isn't just fluff versus the corporate mentality that at this point is really just taking over. Now we're kind of in present day, we're kind of immersed in it of mm -hmm. what's going to, you know, how do we make the, the, the most, get the most bang for the, for our buck here? You know, how much, how much can we make? How much money can we make off this story? Or, you know, how does it, how does it spin back to giving us a bigger audience and more cash flow and all of that. So I think it, this is really the beginning of that fight. And then on a totally different level, the relationship between our three characters and this triangle that is so well done and how they bounce off of each other. And they bounce between friends and potential lovers and coworkers and keep riding that line that is always, they're kind of almost always crossing it, but then don't. And it, it's just, so well done, so well performed. And, yeah. um, and then, in, uh, you know, a great supporting cast too, all the way throughout with Robert Prosky and, and Joan Cusack and, you know, some other people that pop up in this that Jack Nicholson for crying out loud, Jack, he, he's in, he's in a lot. He's in a lot of James L. Brooks movies. He's in, I think <laughs> almost every one of them. I haven't seen, I mean, as far as the one he's directed, I haven't seen I'll do anything or how do you know? So I'm not sure, but I, He's in How Do You Know? I saw it. Yes, I did. And yeah. no, it doesn't feel like a James L. Brooks movie, but yeah, um, I so, haven't seen um, I'll Do Anything. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you talk about, you know, I, I think most of James L. Brooks movies are kind of, you know, they're, they're, I think they're made for those 30 somethings and beyond who have, have a little bit of, you know, weather to them and and some notches in their belt and like have taken a couple lumps in life and you know have like been out there right like it's there's there's a lot of really like intimate human kind of you have to have been there moments that he portrays in his in his movies that are like okay you know like this feels like it comes from a person who's experienced this like kind of a a, a life you know, wizened by life kind of perspective on, on storytelling and at least the movies he's directed, you know, like uh, he's only done like six movies as a director, which is, which I was surprised to, to realize that uh, he's produced and written a ton, but, yeah. but only directed six. And, and of the ones I've seen, they're all like, there's a lot of heavy, life influence things you know terms of endearment is like mm -hmm. one of it i still think considered one of the most like heart-wrenching movies uh you know out yep. there i mean it's yeah it's it will grab your tissue box is all <laughs> i'm saying if you watch that movie it's uh it's it's definitely heartbreaking yeah, that's uh I mean terms of endearment and broadcast news are are his upper echelon films that sure uh have such high emotional value and and like you were saying really feels like somebody 
whether he has or hasn't, it feels like somebody who has gone through it and really nailing those personal connections between, in terms of endearment, the mother and daughter and the mother and her boyfriend and the daughter and her husband and all the things going on in those relationships feel so authentic and genuine. Yeah. I think as good as it gets is also pretty, pretty legit. Yes. I think, I think it might, I, I don't know for sure, but maybe some of the themes are, are a little like ske- sketchy maybe at this point. I don't know if like some, some of the portrayals are, it's been so long since I've seen it, but I think it's also kind of the point of the movie in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, like just, it just is. how crass yeah. and, and kind of, you know, I mean, the character that Jack Nicholson plays is, you know, I mean, he's kind of a sexist, you know, sexist, racist, big, bigot, you know, like kind of, yeah. kind of guy, you know. So, yeah. um, and he's Jack in that is, you know, by 1997, it's a different Jack than the early 70s and early 80s. He's yeah, he's it's well, it's well in, established. Like yeah. it's, it's like a caricature Jack. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I mean, he's playing. You know, it's, it's a little Al Pacino esque. You know, where it's just like you've you've become a character of yourself. Watching this one now, it felt, it just reminded me of when you watch the just the power of film when you watch the right movie at the right moment in your life, and that's not predictable. It's something that just happens. But mm-hmm. this one, and I don't want to really get into it too deeply, but there's definitely a major plot point that is happening in this movie that has been a big part of my life this year. Yeah. As mine too, as yep. you know, for, for mm. both of us this year, that was, uh, you know, kind of really tough to, to watch at this point, you know, for me, another movie was, was at close range. You know, I watched that movie right around the time I, I had a big, you know, falling out with my dad and we weren't talking and there's all the stuff going on between us that I <laughs> I watched that movie and it was like, whoa, you know, just a lot of emotions came out, but it was just, it, it hit me again this time that like, wow. When, and again, there's no way to like predict it. It just kind of happens when it happens that you're watching a movie where something's happening in it that is so relevant to your life in that moment and how much more of that movie sinks in with you. And the movie yeah. may not be great, you know? <laughs> It could be Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. Like, Man, when I fell out of a rhino's ass that one time, like I, it was... I know. Woo! <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's dig in with James L. Brooks for a minute. So James L. Brooks started at CBS News, of all places. So, Whoa. Yeah. He knows it. So little... this is where the whole idea kind of germinated from him. Uh, He moved from CBS News and started writing TV in the late 60s, and he wrote on some of the biggest shows of the time. He wrote on The Andy Griffith Show, My Three Sons, The Doris Day Show. There was, you know, a a ton of others that he he kind of did an episode or two, and eventually he started creating his own shows, and he created Room 222, and then eventually the Mary Tyler Moore Show, which was one of the biggest shows in TV history. Yeah, it was massive. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. And it was, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, after the Dick Van Dyke show, she and her producer husband, uh, Grant Tinker, really started turning, wanted to turn her into a whole, you know, machine that 
a brand a brand yeah yeah but before the days of branding she was a brand for sure and the importance of the mary tyler moore show about the focused on a you know a single woman who's making her way in the working world that was not something that was seen in the early 70s and that was completely foreign territory on tv and james l brooks was the creative force along with mary tyler moore of course uh behind the show and it was one of those moments in tv history that is such an important turning point do you guys watch a lot of mary have you seen a lot of the show you know, I only saw a handful of episodes when it was re- on reruns on Nick at Night. Yeah, um, same. I was a kid, I was say the same thing. I, I didn't same appreciate thing. it at all. Yeah. Like I, but it's it was like just a, a little bit before our time, right? But at this, but the funny thing is, at the same time, I was watching Cheers, like growing up. So, like, I don't, I don't, I think it was only because it just seemed like a little older, and it wasn't that. You know, it was only ten or twelve years removed from its like, <laughs> well, maybe fifteen. Like that, you know, I sh- I could have easily. It, uh, consume the whole thing but I never I wasn't watching a lot of Nick and Knight I guess maybe you know yeah. so it was like well I, I think the difference is that like, well at least for me sorry David to interrupt but using your examples like Mary Tyler Moore I think for me like I only remember it being in reruns like well, yeah, I don't it, it I don't I think it wasn't if, new after 76 77 it was off the yeah, right. I think so right it's like there, Cheers yeah. Cheers still was new. when Cheers was on they were still making new episodes, you yeah, know, and yeah, it was yeah. like the syndication window for cheers yeah. was more in, in, I think our wheelhouse than, than yeah. Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. And it was, I'm not, I, I don't know. It's just, it's funny to think like, Oh man, like I probably could watch any Mary Tyler Moore today and have and enjoy the hell out of it because it's such a it's a well done show. It's just mm-hmm. it's a, it's a legendary kind of workplace comedy, also in set in the news business, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, you know, yeah, and Mary Tyler Moore is not playing you know somebody's wife. Uh, I mean, she uh, she was like a she was a solid character in that show, but like this is you know to her to lead as this the you know. Up, like you said, John, like the up and coming workplace, like, you know, her career is the like her life and career is the focus. And it's not about being some, you know, somebody's husband or, or wife or, uh, you know, there were love stories, I think, but not it wasn't about the will they won't they thing. Right. I'm, yeah. And she's not yeah. an extension of a man, you know, right. like the the men were the side, you know, were the supporting right. characters in the show. Yeah. She's the lead. And it was really, I think the first time in a major way that there was a woman as the lead character of a show who was not attached to a man, did not have a family, you know, a family situation at home. It was her about her single life and her working life. Yeah. Did you ever see her? I, like, I just remember the the opening of it where like basically she's stepping out of her, I'm assuming is like a Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. penthouse apartment onto the streets of New York and like getting to work. Right. But it's like, yep. you know, like she's very independent and on her own and there's, you know, like she's the boss, yeah. and, you know, like there's no, there's no, there's no confusing who the star or the, the uh, anything for this show is like, she is a hundred percent the focus. So I think you're seeing with James L. Brooks, you're seeing kind of the seeds already starting to get planted 
hear of what would become broadcast news. After Mary Tyler Moore ended, he went on to create Rhoda, which is a spinoff, uh, Lou Grant, and Taxi. I mean, talk about some of the biggest shows in TV history between all those. Oh, yeah. It's, that's they're, I think the, all those shows ran at least five or six seasons, if not more, right? Yeah, um, and, and think about the careers yeah. that they launched. Yeah, right. Taxi. I, I, I'm not as familiar with Rhoda and Lou Grant, but Taxi, I, I, everybody walked out there yeah. and got had a very successful career afterwards yeah, yeah. it's uh you know and and a lot of groundbreaking storylines and you know obviously pretty iconic tv performances and uh yeah so you know by the time he gets through that then he by the early 80s he's ready to switch to feature films and terms of endearment is uh actually his second film really but i mean what a you know what a monumental film this was and did you know really put deborah winger i mean she was already working and already had some some big movies out but that really propelled her to uber star status filmed in houston texas shout out to my hometown there you go oh how about that uh i'm not as wild of a fan of the sequel the evening star also filmed in houston texas shout out to my hometown wait where are you from <laughs> Sugarland, Texas. <laughs> I thought you truth, were from Philadelphia. Truth, no, no. Really? Go, go Astros. <laughs> that we're going to um, lose some audience members for that one. We're going to lose. <laughs> sorry, cut the Astros. We thing. don't need them. We don't, don't need them. We have too many. Need... We have too many audience. Too many. Anyway. Too many fans. We're over the cap. <laughs> uh, so, terms of endearment is so big and gets so much Oscar attention. Uh, and and I don't want to get too much into that because we're obviously going to do an episode on that film later on. There's so much to discuss there. But the the fallout of that has James really worried. He's not the kind of person that wants the Hollywood star spotlight. He doesn't you know want to be tracked of what projects he's working on. He wants to just write what's you know, relevant to him and what's important and meaningful, the meaningful stories that he wants to tell and doesn't want to be impacted by, you know, the the press, the media, the fans. Um, so he really tries to like stay out off the radar and be conscious of preventing his career from getting to that point where he can't like go anywhere and do any, you know, he doesn't want to be that guy um, mm. that I'm sure people like Spielberg, you know, had, even though they're not an actor, they were such a public face that, you know, he would face the same issues. Sure. It's like, it's letting the work stand on its own rather than the, the artist being, uh, you know, a, a, a selling point of that, of it, right. You know, it's because, yeah, it's, it's, you use Spielberg's name when he directs a movie, you say, this is a Steven Spielberg movie. And like, I mean, that's standard, right? But like, you know, you, but writers were, the, there are writers that had probably healthy egos about the work that they got, especially like, um, people that, like, cause he comes from TV, did features and stayed in TV. And like, you know, like it's, and then, and he was writing for both. And so he's, He's your go-to guy. He probably made. He was probably a top earner. I have not. I didn't see any research uh, on that, but I'm sure he was, you know, making some of the best money any writer in Hollywood was making at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah i can but i kind of like that idea or it's just more like about the the art and the col the collaborative process of of creating these movies and tv shows um then like you know from joss whedon the the writer of uh, or from jj abrams like they became brands these showrunners and who become these hollywood uh elite or whatever in their for whatever small amount of time that they have um but james l brooks has been making making <laughs> shit for what 50 years more than that right like 60 years yeah so at this point right now yeah oh uh, yeah by as of today like yeah because he was yeah. back in this yeah uh, yeah, so, mid 60s yeah mid 60s so well and not think, to not to not that. to bury the lead but for for the younger listeners he's one of the creators of the simpsons so like yeah. you know it's not like i mean this dude's career is insanely successful even though he's only done a handful of directorial things you know yeah. i mean he's i mean yeah and he, he's also been on top of that, like a mentor to mm -hmm. many, many people, Tracy Ullman, you know, launching that show, which is yep. what launched The Simpsons. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, all the I think all the writers on that, or not all, but a lot of the original writers were were kind of his people, and um, you know, obviously an extremely important culturally speaking uh, show in The Simpsons that. And that's right after broadcast news, like almost immediately afterwards. So, yeah, that's how long The Simpsons has been going. I know. It's <laughs> yep, almost forty years. <laughs> seven hundred. He's credited with seven hundred and fifty-one episodes. And you know what? Nineteen eighty-nine to two thousand. You know what I think of though? When I one of the weird random things when I think about The Simpsons is that. Gracie Films logo like popping up at the end of the episode, just that yeah. that little jingle and that image that you know that to me that's like hand in hand with like the the Simpsons actual logo. Yeah, absolutely. I I am so curious, like what I just I don't care about the money itself, but like how much is the Simpsons paid him over thirty years, over thirty five years? Like, oh god, I, with with the, how with its raging popularity, of merchandising for the first. 10, 15 years when it came out and then syndicate and all the syndication. And mm -hmm. I could, gonna, there was a time I could watch five different episodes of the Simpsons per day. <laughs> like I think, yeah. or something like that between my, my syndication uh, or my affiliates that I had access to in yeah. from Philly and New York and local. I was watching Simpsons all the time on repeat. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to guess it's what they call fuck you money. That's, that's uh, yeah. how much money, that's how much money he's made is, from the Simpsons yes. over the course of his career. Yeah. Another, another tidbit I uh, just want to throw in just to like, give this guy more cred is that he's the one who discovered Wes Anderson, right? So like he uh -huh. was an executive producer of Wes Anderson's first movie, Bottle Rocket, which was the springboard for all the Moonrise Kingdom and all the yeah. other shit that you see. You all know, the, all those Wilson all, brothers, you all know. those hipster, all those hipster flicks. You know, that, that, you know, I mean, Wes Anderson's a great director. Yeah, absolutely. We'll cover more Wes Anderson films here too. I think we've only done I'm, I'm uh, sure. Rushmore. Mm. Yeah. Which Lots was, more to do there. Which was the second one. Yeah. Yes. Which launched uh, Jason Schwartzman. And revitalized yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah. I was going to say, and launched Bill Murray. Wait, no, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of was a entry. It brought so him back yeah. to the front where he deserves to be. Yeah.
but yeah, so at this point, you know, after after uh, terms of endearment, he really wants to do another story based on his own background. So he starts writing a story about a news producer, and he really wants to work with the themes of, you know, the creative spirit versus corporate oversight and how those are kind of oil and water, but they're forced to kind of merge. Uh, so he, you know, spent a lot of time interviewing a lot of behind the scenes players and uh, spent quite a bit of time with Susan Zarinsky, who is really what the base of uh, the, the character of Jane Craig, that's Holly Hunter's character, uh, was based on. And she was a very important and still, uh, I think still is a very important uh, news producer and has been around a very long time. And 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 pretty much you name it, she's been involved with it as far as uh, news goes. But uh, yeah, so so he's gonna he wants to tell the story of that, and of course, as he's writing it, comes in other elements like this, you know, kind of love and friendship triangle. But what do you you know? I to me, I think this movie is really the culmination of all of his greatest themes, greatest story points kind of all come to a head here in broadcast news. I think overall this, watching it now, and I have seen Terms of Endearment recently, but this is the one that really strikes home the most, I think, for me now as in, you know, as in, you know, someone in their 40s. I mean, it feels really relatable, you know, I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, but I also think some of that is just timely with his greatest there's probably no wrong answer like there's probably some you know you could relate to moments and characters in any one of his like top three movies that he directed you know i think i think there's probably uh room for that there but yeah this one right now especially feels super relatable um and 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 timely just with what's going on with and 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 my life personally and and yeah, similar to your life so yeah I, maybe that's it you know I, there's deep emotional stuff to connect to with terms as well mm. um so i don't know I, I bet next time i watch that i'll flip over to that one <laughs> but yeah i have I'm, i've seen that movie once i mean it's really good but it's very hard it's like you you have you know it's exa it's it's it takes a lot out of you, I feel mm -hmm. like. Yeah, there, neither of these films are ones you can just pop in and watch. Like, you got to be in the right emotional, I think, place to watch them. Terms for sure, because it's yeah. so emotionally, like, jarring. This one, I don't know. Like, after watching it again, like, I probably could just have it playing in the background. Some of the banter and dialogue and just the the quips back and forth, you know, especially with like Al Brooks and, and Holly Hunter, like their relationship is so fun to kind of watch and also feels super relatable, right? Like anybody mm -hmm. who's like been awkward with someone that you cared for tremendously and couldn't get the words out and express your feelings. Like, you know, I think anybody can relate to that kind of, relationship with someone uh you know like watching that unfold between them and just like al brooks like you know like he's 
he's definitely your average Joe, you know, and he's so smart and he's so funny and he's so kind of neurotic, but like to hear him talk and say things and like, just observe the world around him and the news and how he communicates about news and like how intelligent he is. Like, I think that that's pretty compelling just to kind of have playing like they're those characters to me are great. Like I love William Hurt, but like the energy of the dialogue, I feel like comes mostly from Holly Hunter and, and Al Brooks. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think there's, I think all three characters are relatable and that's what mm-hmm. makes them work so well is that yeah. you can put yourself in the, in their shoes in various moments. Right. Sure. Like I think with, with Albert Brooks, his, you know, he's a longtime reporter. He works very hard. He really gets invested in his stories and he wants to be the anchor. And when that yes. opportunity comes and it, he's passed over, he's hurt, he's wounded, but then he eventually gets his own opportunity mm. in one of the best <laughs> scenes of the movie. It's <laughs> so good. And, and I think we've all been there where you want something really bad and then you finally get it. And then, uh oh, like, you're in the moment and did I really want this? <laughs> like now what do I do? Yeah. Right. And where is <laughs> this, this, when he gets the sweats really bad live on the air, the it's hilarious. Sweats, I mean, it's, man, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what, you know, special effects rigs they had, but it was really well done of like the one drop coming down his forehead. And then you just see them like one after another, just coming down yeah. and yeah. he's just drenched. Like yeah, and the way his shirt and collar just get completely like it's so gross. <laughs> it's yeah, and it's so it's such Is a different this noticeable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so good. There's so many. I just I adore Albert Brooks, and I like boy he. I I don't I don't know if he writes any of uh or you know helps with his own jokes on this, but like it felt all the lines felt so well put in his in his mouth you know they're very albert brooksian to me even but it's all james brooks too like it's just uh, just brilliant lines just so i was laughing a lot in this movie (laughs) i i just i like it and i like that it's i like that it's sort of um it's definitely like a style like it's definitely like it it's not you don't just get a one or two it's like that's fully his character and yeah. with hit the way he can he can craft a joke and the and his delivery in deadpan and and there's and like i and i i like that like these three characters like they it goes beyond like the emotional stuff a lot like they could even hurt each other's feelings and they're all sort of like cool with each other they're not holding you know they holding grudges necessarily maybe like they if 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 their feelings are hurt they kind of they understand each other as human beings like it's almost like all the characters understand why they someone would treat them poorly right like the emotions because the emotions are so real it seems like well right and what's great about it being a movie is like and a lot of those interactions they're able to say the things that i think a lot of people feel but like wouldn't say you know like the mm-hmm. whole interaction between albert brooks and holly hunter at the restaurant after he finds out that she's like in love with with william hurt's character and it's just like it's poignant and it's like crushing and he's like so raw 
you know, that, but like, he, I mean, he, like his words cut like with a, they're like a, a cut from a dagger, right? Like, I mean, they're just like, so to her heart and she understands that, Hey, I know, you know, like, I mean, her question back to him is how long are you going to be mad at me? Right. And it's like, she responds in a way that like, I think if it was a real conversation that you were having with someone, the feelings would be hurt so much that I don't think you get that kind of response, but you're able to like, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty, it's, it, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like it was just pretty, yeah. pretty amazing to kind of see it play out. Well, their relationship is so well done that, you know, they're, they're so close. They're, they're a fine tuned machine, right? Both as friends and as coworkers, she being his yeah. producer. Uh, and, you know, once William Hurt's Tom Grunick comes in, who's this corp sort of corporately bred anchor who looks really good, but isn't very bright and, you know, isn't really, um, he's just good at, you know, when he's in front of the camera, he's, he's on, but outside of that, you know, he's not the sharpest. Right. But yeah. And he's being brought in to take over as the new anchor and being, you know, potentially bred as to go, go on to bigger and better things. But, um, you know, that sort of disrupts the flow of Albert Brooks and, and Holly Hunter's characters. And she eventually, she kind of despises William Hurt as this character is, you know, this corporate takeover represents the corporate takeover, but also is personally kind of they're kind of falling in love with each other and will they, won't they kind of consummate that. And then, you know, after they go to the white house correspondence dinner together, they, uh, that event, they, you know, agree to move forward with it. And right before they do is when that's the reason that Albert Brooks's character has this opportunity to, to be the anchor one night and it goes disastrously bad. So she, steps away to go over to Albert Brooks's house to kind of see how it went and then end up consoling him. And that's where she reveals she's in love. And his reaction is, I mean, he yells at her, like yeah. he kicks her out of the, the house. Fuck out. Yeah. And it's, it's like kind of vicious and raw, but you feel for like, you understand where he's coming from. I think you also understand where she's coming from that. What that, like, you're my friend. Why can't you just be happy? You know? Yeah. And, but he's in love with her too. And then the well, follow-up is that is the, yeah. the dinner or the, the restaurant scene. Yeah. You are now required to sit here with me. Come on. Be smart for a second. What do you think will happen to us? What will happen? Okay, that's very easy. Five, six years from now, I'll be back in town to collect an award representing the surge in foreign coverage by local stations. <laughs> what will they call the award? The Yuki. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I'll be walking along with my wife and my two lovely children, and we'll bump into you. And my youngest son will say something, and I will tell him it's not nice to make fun of single fat ladies. You won't be able to stay mad at me, right? I hope so. No, I'm not really mad. 
I'll miss you, we'll talk, we'll always be friends, we'll get hot for each other every few years at dinner, and we'll never act on it. Okay? They're, so uh, good. They're, I, what was I going to say about, to the, I was going to speak to that, in that uh, they're, uh, the only thing I kind of like didn't like that it, i think and I, I don't think it's it's not really prominent but there did seem to be this sort of like entitlement from both the men like in terms of like more or less albert brooks was like i was here first and i'm your best friend therefore why don't you love me when i tell you i love you and he had however many years to tell her or whatever and it's not like he was i don't think it's not portrayed like he was hiding it I just think that his love for her was spurred because now she was actually falling in love with another guy. Mm. And then suddenly like, wait, oh, that means our dynamic is going to change. If you fall in love with some other guy and marry him, we can't have this. And this is the best thing I have. So it it makes me realize I love you. And it's almost like, so like, you know, he already had capital scored and he's, and he's upset that, that he's losing her, but then also that he doesn't get to have her like the way he wants, you know, and, um, and less so for, for Tom, um, William Hurt's character, but it's like, and it, I don't think, I, I think that's just a, a very super, like very light, uh, feminist look at it, but I don't think it's too damaging. Um, I think that's, it's sort of a real emotion where, when you're not honest with your own feelings about things and then suddenly think something changes it for you and you're, you're going to feel all sorts of emotions about it. Cause he's probably, he's probably angry with himself uh, that he never realized he's probably, he's angry. He's angry that he never had, that he lost the opportunity. And so he's going to f- put it all on her, you know, even though he should really be upset with himself, like for not, understanding his own feelings mm-hmm. yeah. um but in the, but all of that stuff comes from the cost of they're so dedicated to their jobs that that's why we see her uh taking a break taking downtime to cry yeah. like she yeah. has to schedule her depression <laughs> like her her desire for something more fulfilling in her life and you and it's not obvious, right? It's like we it's almost like why is she crying a lot? Like yeah. you have to you have they to do the work. They don't focus on it a lot. Yeah. No, but don't you find it interesting like I uh, her crying like her ability to kind of you know or her tendency to cry on cue to get her emotions out, right? Mm-hmm. Seems like I wasn't quite sure what the point of it was. And then there's the scene at the airport and she gets into the taxi after leaving William Hurt, who's going off and their relationship isn't going to happen. And the moment where you think the emotion would be natural, she starts and then doesn't cry and basically gives up her other tendency to be like, in control of everything, right? Because usually she'll jump in a cab and she's like, take this road, this road, this road. And she starts that and then doesn't. And I don't know necessarily, like it's obviously some sort of breakthrough for her in that, but I'm not sure exactly how it, you know, like what do you make of it? I guess is is my question. Cause I don't know what to make of it really. 
I think I I don't know. I I think they're trying to communicate that she's sort of a, a she's very in touch with like her rational, logical self. She she has control. We, that's why these scenes with them as kids actually really work because you get to you get a taste of like their origin story of like. Mm-hmm where do you come from? And like, what were you like as a kid? And like, what's the natural extension of that? Who do you become as an adult? So I think like there's the, the psychological thing must be that like, she's always has to, and particularly as a woman, I I'm sure that's what he's trying to say that as a woman who needs to like work twice as hard to be respected in an industry, which is not the point of the movie at all. It's not really there, but you can infer it from the, from like where things are going for women in the workplace from the difference from, her parents' generation say to her in the eighties where things began started to get more and more progressive that like that the idea that this woman who has to be so in control of everything she does, that's when she gets to let go. So she's not probably, she's, she's, she's just getting everything out and separately. So it's compartmentalized. Right. And mm-hmm. so now, now that, that uh, Tom comes into her life and it's all disrupted and both both important men in her life, it's not going to work out. It's like she realizes probably I'm not I'm never I've never been in control. I just thought I I was. So that's why she could just sort of let go in the cab, I think. And even though she, you know, she gets the little a laugh line like, you know, New York streets open or whatever she says. Um, I think I think that's where her arc must be right like going from because when you fall in love it's supposed to be like she doesn't know how to deal with it like she's she keeps going back to her best friend and she kind of is still wary about him tom being too too phony or you know just not the guy for her her uh you know we don't know what she what her type is it's not, it's not like she's dating all the time but all we know from what she sort of says and what uh, Aaron uh, tells us that you know she, he is the opposite of what of what she stands for, and uh, I, I know I'm rambling a lot here, but I really do think it's like it comes from this this idea of like no, her, it's interesting because I also, yeah. I mean not to not to cut you off, but no, I I also wonder you know because the big the big like reveal and break for them the reason it doesn't work for her is because william hurt's character basically staged and forced a cry a Mm -hmm. fake cry and and you know and he got a lot of recognition for showing emotion on tv during this piece that he was putting together right the interview about the rape that's right yeah right and so so that was a faked cry you know, it was a staged cry. Like her, I, I just wonder if, like, in some way, it's connected with with her. Maybe thinking, well, you know, like maybe I'm not that different because I do these like kind of cries as well. Like, it's, I, it's very loose. But I'm just like, yeah, you I know, think that's there. I think that's part of it. It's just kind of an interesting moment where it's like you can you can visually see her get into the cab and about to, like she makes the face like she's about to cry and then she catches herself and for me like of all the crying she's done that's the one that's the moment where it seemed like it would be more real and natural mm-hmm. and instead she didn't show the emotion that she normally does after she gets off a phone call with 
you know, just having a normal conversation with them. And then she has like this 20 second forced crying session to purge herself of like some emotion or whatever, you know, and then, and then go on with her day. So it's just kind of, it's, it's just like an interesting character quirk that I, I'm not like, I feel like there's something there for sure. Like it's intentional, but I just don't know that I understand it or track it totally. But I think what you're saying makes sense. I just also wonder, like, it seems like it's also connected to like the William Hurt kind of phony cry situation in some, in some way, like they, they seem to run parallel, you know, as a, as a story point. So I just it, didn't know. She, she was manipulated emotionally. She told him like, I was moved, you know, I don't, I don't make the choice to, to put that in my, in my stories because it's mm-hmm. it, because it's a manipulation. And I think part of it, is, I think by the end, it's like, she probably doesn't need the cry the way she's always needed it. You know, it's like, it's she's gone through she's 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 felt the emotions so that's mm-hmm. not the crying that makes her feel better in that instance it's really her acceptance of of it probably of of all these emotions yeah or just feeling emotion or something yeah like so yeah but i i do i do think there's that connection of like the power of of, of tears and how it can be to her authentic but it, she hides it and like schedules it <laughs> and like yeah he did and then tom sort of felt it but he thought well i can just i can judge this and then i can yeah. it for ratings and then albert brooks i can, con- I can conjure it back up yeah which yeah is like exactly what the kind of news she doesn't want to be a part of yeah right yeah so that was it like that like that that was probably the worst betrayal for her <laughs> that he could have done in a sense like because she was manipulated and he, and he lied about it and as soon as Albert, or as soon as I'm, I want to start using their names, but as soon as Aaron asked him, you only have one camera crew. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How, oh, do, no. you, how, how do you see? Yeah, it's a great moment. How do you see? How do we see him when he only had one camera? Yeah. So I'm like, oh, how is this gonna like this is gonna yeah. spice things up somewhere? Like, uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't know. Could it also be like maybe a moment where she? Like her, there's a character shift for her where she's shifting away from because, like, she's one of the remaining people that's left over from the the layoffs, right? She's she's now like kind of the boss, and yeah, she's kind of the boss in charge. And then, really, kind of, I I don't know if it's the next scene or or not, but it's right towards the end. Like she's back producing. William Hurt like she takes a job to produce William Hurt right so like you know like is she that's seven years later though it is seven years yeah I guess there's that jump yeah Um, scene wise though but you have to yeah I don't know yeah she's gonna be work she's gonna be moving you know where it ends she's gonna be moving to New York and where he's the national anchor man and and she's gonna be producing him well, technically, she's the managing editor, but so she probably won't be in the booth, but she'll be involved with him again. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I want to say one more thing about the crying note that that's I think there's a lot of power in her performance as a, you know, a woman in the workplace, right, especially at this time. Mm-hmm. And she's a bulldog, you know, she's like very 
tenacious and we see that you know one of the early scenes where where tom is shadowing and just observing what's happening and and we're seeing that that great scene of them producing a a, a segment within with like less than a minute till it needs to mm -hmm. air great on multiple levels joan cusack's performance but holly hunter's also like she's just shouting commands at everybody she's like a general you know um but she's got to be tough and strong in the workplace. And I think that's something that is, you know, um, a, an important issue for, for women that, you know, they can't be emotional. They can't feel the feelings. They just have to tough it out. Right. So she's got to carve out time in the morning before anybody else gets there where she could just let all those feelings out and, and have those, you know, crying sessions and, and, uh, and that's something that Susan Zarinsky, who was based on, was that that came from her. Like she was that same way that she had to like let it out at certain times. Oh, really? Part of what you know, going back to what you guys were talking about, the I think all of them really prefer their professional relationships over their personal ones, right? <laughs> like they're they never really like even jane and tom never really consummate that relationship they kiss but they don't really it never ends up going for one reason or another doesn't go any further than that they're always kind of flirting back and forth and he when he first uh does his first anchor job and she's producing him and she's you know really like in his headset and directing him and 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 you know with aaron's help from afar right is like giving feeding him information mm -hmm. and and that's really work and he is they're both so excited and energized after it and then and then he says that it was better than sex right yeah <laughs> like i think that says it all that to them that's the high sex is kind of we see it also in in network you know there there's a there's kind of a story point like this in there that the physical act of intimacy is really not the same high that they get from the rush of doing the news. In the summer of 1981, two Libyan jets suddenly attacked two American F-14s flying a routine over the Gulf of Sidra. Today they Gaddafi claimed then, as he does now, that the Gulf is part of Libya's territorial water, a view really not know. shared by other nations, including the U.S. After a brief dogfight, both Libyan jets were downed by the American fighters. The, the name is Nathan Benchley. Nathan Benchley is at the Pentagon. So, that's great. Commander, that's great. it must have been a bit tougher today shooting down the MiG-21. The one you got was an SU-22. What's it like at the yes, moment of correct. confrontation? What's it like to be in a real dogfight? Okay, after this guy will go for a wrap-up. You'll have about 10 seconds. Ask him how does he know when he has a hit? Do you know you have a hit from one of those screens inside your cockpit or can you actually see your missile strike the other plane with your eye? That's good. The equipment is very that's the thing. There's so many things that like give give all these characters like the energy and the emotion and like what do they love? Like you know, they're all convinced that they love. Well, Jane and Aaron love their jobs. Like they love mm -hmm. doing the news. And you know, um, part part of the one of the thing is that Jane sees how the news is changing on in the corporate in the corporate way, and she wants to preserve like real journalism and and Aaron represents that because he's like really, really smart and educated and his nose languages. He understands like he understands things going on in, in the government and internationally and politics of that nature. And Tom is just he's like the pretty guy that reads the news like he's not 
he doesn't come off as as dumb he just openly admits he just doesn't he can't learn stuff he doesn't know anything <laughs> yeah. he's he's just like uh, he, and he wants to do better he, and that's well, <laughs> right he doesn't even understand he says he doesn't understand half of the news that he's reporting on <laughs> yeah yeah like and i don't know if that's real at all and at that level i don't know if that's possible i um, mean i guess there's I, some I think version it is possible i mean i i think there's a skill to repeating information and giving it a spin not necessarily thinking about the content of what you're talking about, but the verbal inflection and the, you know, there's, Oh yeah. Being a newsreader is obviously a talent, yep. but like do in reality, are there newsreaders that never like did good reporting that never like that never did anything like substantial and doesn't understand like, like the, the national news that they're reporting on. I, I just, uh, there was a movie, The Weatherman, with Nicolas Cage, and he's a Chicago meteorologist. He doesn't understand anything about the weather. He just reads the copy. And I'm like, there's no <laughs> fucking way that's real. Like, you you got to be, if to be a meteorologist, at least in reporting, you're supposed to know stuff, like how... <laughs> yeah cold fronts work you know just so you sound just so you sound like a like a kind of master of the information right like you gotta sound convincing yeah like it it, i i couldn't imagine just being blind to everything except for what the script says and there's a sequence in that movie where the the whoever writes his copy is teaching him like this is what this is why the weather's doing what it's doing and stuff because he wants to get better at it because he gets a national job or whatever like an Al Roker type job. So he, but he didn't, he didn't want, he wanted more than that. He wanted to like, I, I, you know, anyway, I just, I, and I found that like incredible. I'm like, I guess there are weather people that wouldn't know, right. That aren't meteorologists in a sense, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I'd have to, I'd have to hear from the inside scoop. Like, are there people at a very high powerful level that are just more or less a, a pretty face? And I, I just don't buy it, but I don't know. <laughs> I I wouldn't. Let me just say I wouldn't be surprised to find out that there were. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I couldn't point to any directly, but yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. But I haven't trusted the news media in 20 years. So what do I know? <laughs> no way. I only trust we TikTok know, for my news source. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we all know the best movie uh, meteorologist would be phil from groundhog day well that's a fact yeah yeah phil knew what he was talking about yeah he sure did he understood cold friends <laughs> he sure did <laughs> <laughs> sure oh, tried God. to get out of that town very <laughs> dead um let's just talk just since he's briefly in the movie but let's just talk touch on jack nicholson for a second jack jack's back just, baby i think another bit of perfect casting for that role that he's a movie star playing a movie star you know he's Mm -hmm. the he's eventually what tom would replace in between probably in between these seven the seven year gap between the end of the story and then the end of the movie right that um he's the national anchor the what would be the walter cronkite type yeah Uh, dan rather you're, you're tom jennings yeah that has a big say in what's happening. And so when the layoffs happen at the bureau, you know, he comes around in a rare appearance there in person and shows his face and kind of 
trying to what act in solidarity with with everybody there but when the you know the 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 chief says to him like well you could cut your salary and that would save jobs uh that that is crossing a line yeah i love that i love seeing that the 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 boss like was he cowered to him because after saying that like yeah that the power dynamic shifted it, it, mm-hmm. back to where it should be you know the star is the star and in charge but i will say like that feels also something very relevant to what's been going on this year with the you know the strikes that have been going on this may be controversial but i'm going to say it anyway that you know there's a lot of anger at the money that the studios are are taking and making off of this and you know how much money it takes to make a project and the crew doesn't see any of that and you know there is some i think responsibility by the high level actors directors producers who are making millions and millions and millions of dollars on every single project that if you took a little less and either spread that around or whatever like some of these movies would get made a little easier there'd be you know a little more money to do the things that need to happen or to pay everybody a little bit more but uh but no that's that's so, not a point that's being taken in the in it's this a race. bit of a microcosm of just you know yeah the U.S. in general, and some, yeah. and and in or any capitalist uh, nation. So, yeah, maybe what we'll see is instead of spending seven hundred million dollars making a movie or or making movies for so big a budget that you have to make seven hundred million dollars just to see a profit, maybe we'll see fewer big budget movies and more character driven, story centric movies. Uh, that are made on much more limited budgets, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe, maybe it's time for those to make a comeback right now and, and, you know, spring back the other way, you know, like everything's kind of cyclical, right? It, it, it ebbs and flows. So we'll, I think if you we'll let, see. you know, if you let an audience know there is a good story available to them and make it available to them, they will see it. Maybe that's not Barbie. All the time. That's Barbie. That's Oppenheimer. That's, well, you look back here, you know, you look back in the 80s and 90s, like not everything, not every big hit was a blockbuster, part of a franchise, superhero movie, right. you know, wasn't and all not the same. every And not every miss would cause a studio to shut down because yeah. right. they didn't right. hit, right? Like, yeah. right. like you can shoot more darts if your darts are cheaper. <laughs> like, my, my big example is Three Men and a Baby was the number yes. one movie of 1987. And I mean, there's no way they thought that. So would... they're remaking it because that's going <laughs> to so, fix it. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, Jack Nicholson, I think is, is a really perfect casting for, to play, to kind of be the face of that corporate greed. And he's really not, he's not in it that much, but he just sort of represents that, that like that real above the line, high level personality. So. Jack's always, always good in James L. Brooks projects. Yeah, it was nice to see him. Uh, even though, yeah, like he's just a, he's just this otherworldly being, really. Like yeah, right. even when he comes <laughs> to the bureau, like yeah, yeah, you know, it's and it's just nice. It's like, oh my god, Jack Nicholson, like yeah, just showing up. I don't know. He's always fun. That would be like who today? Who's showing up in your movie? 
briefly who would show jack up? nicholson it'd be jack nicholson yeah well you could probably <laughs> slide like you know Clooney Travolta. or brad pitt in that role now oh yeah Clooney would be perfect yeah yeah there you go which he shows up in a special movie this year in 2023 oh you may not it expect marvel? it it's not a marvel movie I'll tell you off there. Don't want to spoil okay. anything for our viewers. Nice. It's got to be a Star Wars thing. Could be. <laughs> Clooney as a Jedi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's just playing a robot. No. So I, I want to go back, you know, leaping backwards to the to the sort of romantic triangle here. Who did you want to see? Just you personally, who did you want to see end up together? I mean, for me, I, I would have loved to see... I don't know. Anyone, Al, Alan, Alan, Holly. I don't. I keep yeah. calling them by their real names because I don't. Their relationship. I, I know them better. Is, it's such a nice relationship. It's like they're basically they're best friends, and like yeah, it was still kind of like I don't think did they say that kind of stuff back in eighty seven. Like I married my best friend, you know. Like no, your best friend was your gender specific, you know, right friend, mm-hmm. right? Like, um. But I, I like, and not not because I wanted Aaron to win. I was just like they they just seem like a great fit. But it would have been I would have been under I would have understood if if Tom and and Jane ended up Tom and Jane would have ended up together uh, too because he he lights a fire under her that she never felt she never feels elsewhere. Yeah. You know. So, well, and it's sorry. Ultimately, it's best that none of them end up together, right? Yeah, like. And- yeah, because because either one is problematic, you know, right. like yeah. if, if they end last. up with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I agree with David that for, you know, like. Holly ending it with with Al's character is nice because they are best friend. They have that connection, yeah. you know, but like it's problematic. I mean, based on what you said earlier, you know, just that he felt entitled. To her because he was, you know. Because he was going to lose known her. her longer, and he, you know, like for yeah. whatever reasons, he was jealous and ego driven, you know. But yeah, it's, yeah. I, it's problematic either way. So it's best yeah. that none of none of that shook out. I think they all hit their arcs because they don't end up together, and they yeah. all learn from each other. Yeah, you know where where they end up. Like she's done, you know, she's busted her ass this whole time and done a great job and she's just naturally moving up the ladder, you know, and she's young. She's what, I think still in her twenties, right? Her late twenties when I guess. uh, Yeah. So she's moving up and she's going to be, you know, she's promoted at the end. And then we see she's promoted again to the national news, uh, you know, after that, at at the, in the last scene where after seven years, William Hurt's character really just by watching and being a part of, her process has learned, you know, has advanced himself as an anchor. And then we see him, he's clearly grown by the end that he feels much more like a younger Jack Nicholson's, you know, character that he um, is ready for that national news and to take, you know, to take the lead on it. And he's going to have that experience now. And then Albert Brooks has learned from, you know, obviously his friendship with, with Holly Hunter, but has also learned how to be an anchor from William Hurt, you know, who sort of trained, we see that the scenes where he's training him how to, how to be ready for it. And then, 
but he steps out of the national news spotlight and becomes a local news anchor where he's really happy it seems like and he's got his own family now and um you know so it seems like they all kind of got what they really wanted and if they had made the relationships work i don't think they would have gotten there that way yeah and yeah. and it's and it the there and it and the and if any of them if any of the three had sex with each other to like shortcut where those feelings are it doesn't really work you get to watch like these folks are like watching or are processing their emotions and where where they are in their lives and it doesn't have to come down to how great the sex was or whatever which it's just it's just a choice of the script it's you know and i i like but i like that neither they don't con neither couple consummates consummate is that the consomme yeah. that's a soup right yeah. um they consummate is, it yeah <laughs> they consummate it and uh <laughs> that's a cold soup is that right anyway um so yeah i thought i thought that was a, a unique choice because we do see tom uh like post coitus with the other news anchor Lo lois uh, giles yeah yeah lois giles, so another bond uh, a bond woman Ooh, all the these bond Ranger. women yeah. showing up in our showing up in our movies kind of love that uh yeah so i th i thought that it was probably i think it was important that like the feelings trumped everything and while sex is an important component to like a loving relationship it probably would have been the shortcut to be like oh this isn't gonna, this would never work you know like i think yeah. you're right like that it would be problematic either way if, if they if it went one way or the other because like the where the relationship is based out of is these problematic stances and and perspectives like that these would not be great love stories to tell their grandchildren about like if she ended up with one or the other and uh yeah i think uh so i think that's a nice interesting choice and and like this movie's like two hours and change right like it's not they yeah. don't it takes its mm -hmm. time to get you through all three arcs for everybody yeah. And, uh, it doesn't feel overly long either, though. No, like, it, it flows. It's a really good pace. Yeah. yeah, it's well paced. I really like it. I, I think I, I'm going to just call out the elephant in the room. I think Albert Brooks and William Hurt should have ended up together. Fair. That could have been. I mean, how great, how great would it have been? The movie ends and we come back for the last scene seven years later and the two of them I are mean, just together. It works. The remake, the remake that plays, right? Because the whole time William Hurt is like, I like you, buddy. Like, yeah, I want to be your friend. Yeah. And Al hates him because yeah. of whatever reason. But like, he's got to have that moment where it turns and he's like, oh, yeah, OK. I want to. You could really if you did this today, you could go in a whole bunch of sexual directions. Yeah, I, I, I love that idea. Actually, I think this if this was made in like the 2010s ish or late 2000 or the late aughts, there'd be a there'd be like a, a weird screw up where both of them think they're going to have sex with her. And then they end up in the same room without, without clothes on. And then people think they had sex. And Those then are like, pillows. Oh. <laughs> you, you know what? If this were made in like the early 2010s, it would be Natalie Portman, Ashton Kutcher, and Justin Timberlake. That that would be this movie now. Wouldn't that, that would be it wasn't, didn't they didn't they make two movies it's like that's almost two movies right uh, uh friends with benefits and, and no strings no attached. strings attached that's yeah. like yep that's like 75 percent of the cast yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh 
uh, and it'd be and there'd be like a mild gay panic thing in there yeah. oh like, yeah oh i didn't mean i didn't mean to see your 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 penis <laughs> like and don't tell anyone and then but by the way nice penis like and there'd but be like now, a little joke <laughs> in the 2020s you could go you could really lean into that and that i think they'd be whole... like well we could try this yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. everyone's uh, sleeping with everybody so. everybody uh everybody humping around thank you bobby brown uh <laughs> humping around you remember that one yeah. i don't oh look it up <laughs> put it on gonna, your spotify list. i'm gonna it's a real song but uh i believe anyway it. i i i just want to say like these three actors were just so amazing in, in their performances each with their skill set right for for that character the they're just so well cast and, and holly hunter by the way almost wasn't in this movie it was originally written for deborah winger who had gotten pregnant and wasn't able to do the movie uh you know of course deborah winger was in terms of endearment but um holly hunter is just coming off of raising arizona as really her uh -huh. only movie so 1987 is like holly hunter has arrived and she goes yeah. from being in no movies to being nominated for an oscar wow i I actually saw Raising Arizona like when I was eight, I think, like, you know, the night, like by the time it was on HBO or something like that. So mm -hmm. I have very early memories of Holly Hunter. And yeah. And now, 40 years later, I'm watching another one of her breakout roles. Uh, it's, and she, I, like, her voice is so iconic to me. Like, I just love, I love the sound of her mm -hmm. voice. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, and then parlaying that into The Incredibles, like, and that movie one of my faves it's no shark tale but i really enjoyed it <laughs> nothing is <laughs> um which shark tale should we do a when are they going to do the live action version of that like disney does with their their live oh, action it, animal it movies like if they don't make let's it let's hope <laughs> sorry let's uh, um, i'm not William... interested in shark tale <laughs> William Hurt. I saw it in, in, hold on real neat uh, tidbit I saw it Raising Arizona at the theater that's oh uh, nice uh, she's so good we'll be it. covering it we'll be covering Raising Arizona at some point one yeah. of these days uh William Hurt is really I think I would say in the peak of his career I mean one of the sleeper like biggest actors of the 80s I mean Altered States big the big chill Body Heat Children of a Lesser God Kiss of the Spider Woman and broadcast news that all all happening within a you know a handful of years of each other i mean he is pumping out great material in this in this decade and uh again just top-notch performance here albert brooks was already such a big you know comedy star from the 70s and yeah. um you know really has his own brand of comedy that is yeah. you're either gonna like it or you're not but uh i i think he's hilarious and uh, he's coming off Lost in America and Modern Romance and Private Benjamin and would go on to, uh, you know, begin directing his own projects as well. You Bet Your Life? Is that? No, what's the one? Uh, defending Your uh, Life? Defending Your Life, yeah. He just started that, right? He didn't direct, did he? No, I think he directed that, too. Oh, he might have, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, that's great. I just saw and, that a couple of years ago. Uh, him and Meryl. Uh, just oh, so wonderful great. together. And even can in I, Drive, years later. I was just going to say, can we mention Drive? Because he's yeah. freaking awesome in Drive. <laughs> so great it's completely that. different than any of his other stuff yeah. that uh -huh. I'm aware of. But And you know, and he shows up in Taxi Driver also, uh, and mm -hmm. you know, we'll cover that down the road. 
and he's such a different flavor in that movie because he's Albert Brooks and he's basically a comedy character in this very dark movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Did we mention he's Nemo's dad for for the kids out there? Yeah, very close to Shark Tale. Very close. Yeah. He, yeah. That's yeah. what Shark Tale wanted to be, except he's good. Marlin. Is that his name, Marlin? Yeah, Marlin. Yes. Yeah, Marlin. Hmm. And then, you know, uh, just a number of other great actors in here, which we mentioned, Robert Prosky, Joan Cusack, Lois Childs, John Cusack, even as a cameo, as I think he's delivering mail. I think he's like a mail delivery guy. That oh, really? Has like a line. And I, I think he's kind of disguised. So I I only uh, I didn't actually see it in the movie. I read it later. And I, so I need to go back and find him. But yeah, I missed him. I didn't realize yeah. that. Should we check out how it did at the box office? See how much money uh, this movie made? Yeah. Broadcast News had a $15 million budget. It was shot between February and April 1987 in Washington, D.C. It opened December 25th. That's Christmas Day, 1987 at number four. Ooh. Hmm. Right between Throw Mama from the Train and Wall Street, both of which were Whoa. in week number three. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So not a huge hit. Uh, three Men and a Baby was number one at the box office that week. It had a $5.4 million opening week. It does end up with a $51 million domestic run, 16 internationally, so a grand total of 67. So it definitely is a, is a, is a big hit, um, just a, maybe a little bit slower of a start but uh, ends up doing really well. It's number 18 of 1987, right between Outrageous Fortune and The Living Daylights. So Albert Brooks, the combination of Brooks, Hunter, and Hurt defeated Mm -hmm. James Bond. Ah, indeed. Ha ha. Which Bond was? That's Timothy Dalton Bond. Yeah, that's the first Timothy Dalton one. Yeah, it's not hard, hard to beat. Yeah, um, yeah. Bond movies that uh, never tops... made a lot of money, though, right? I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. They tops at the box office. It's the, uh... it's the collection of them over the course of the last 750 years. <laughs> hey, I think we should. It's probably time for us to come back to James Bond. We're up to uh, Thunderball, I think. So, Ooh, this we'll one's fun. The schedule. We, yeah, we got to get that in there. All right, 2024, we're gonna get, we got to get back to Bond. Yeah, back to Bond, the year of Bond. Uh, okay, so we know it did financially well. How did it do with uh, critically and at the award season? Well, pretty damn well. Really high praise from, I think, all across the board. Uh, everyone's sort of loving this movie. It's nominated for seven Oscars. It does not actually win any, but oh. uh, it, here, here's what it was nominated for. Nominated for Best Picture, which it lost to The Last Emperor. Uh, Best Actor which would be William Hurt, lost to Michael Douglas for Wall Street. Best Actress for Holly Hunter, she lost to Cher for Moonstruck. Mm -hmm. Supporting Actor for Albert Brooks, lost to Sean Connery for The Untouchables. And it was also nominated for Best Screenplay, Cinematography, and Editing. Now, Mm. I don't think, you know, in hindsight, I agree with some of those losses. I watching it now, I would put Holly Hunter over Cher for sure. I think so. Yeah. I've not seen Moonstruck, so I don't know for sure, but yeah, it's her performance. It's okay. I'm, I've never been the big 
big fan of Moonstruck, but I watched it a couple of years ago and it was better than I remembered, but I still didn't love it. Um, That's kind of a career Oscar for Cher too, right? I mean, because she had been a a number of things. A huge acting career at that point. So maybe I'm wrong. I'm getting the timing right. Wrong. Getting the timing wrong. Yeah, she was she was just acting for a few years at this point. But okay. Anyway, how did uh so how do you think broadcast news holds up today? Do you think it still works, still relevant? What do you guys think? I love it. Yeah, it's fine. Works well. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I think um you know, I think the probably the perspective on women in the workplace would be maybe a little bit different now, but the character dynamics that we talked about and the overall themes going on with the corporate taking over is really relevant now. And I think it's, I think it's pretty poignant and these characters are so likable that they're really identifiable and that's really the, the crux of it. So, yeah. Um, just a great work by James L. Brooks and a director whose movies should, you know, go back and, and, Check them out and see how they hold up. I don't know if I'll do anything. I haven't seen it, but I'm curious about that. It doesn't have the stature that these two have, this in terms of endearment and as good as it gets. But uh, but I'd be curious to see it. So I think we didn't even mention Spanglish. Did not mention Spanglish. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I saw it, but I don't honestly don't remember it at all other than Adam Sandler's in it. Yeah, I don't remember being wowed by it. You know, I, yeah. I it's it's. It's a movie with Adam Sandler that's not an Adam Sandler movie. So it's like it would at the time when it came out was a little off-putting. But so much time has passed since. I wonder if it's better now than when originally. Yeah. When I originally saw it. Yeah. Uh okay. So should we come back to our six degrees of reconsideration? Oh, we, can you we... can you do it in one? Cause it can be done in one pretty easy. I got it in two. Um, yeah, I got it in two. I'll stick with that. But David, do you, do you have it or do you need, you need a minute still? Well, I, I had to check, I had to check what I thought. And so I think it, it is a one pathway. Uh, William Hurt is in this, but you movie. had to check it. You had to check it though. I had to check to make sure I knew what I was talking about. I okay. don't know. All right. I always use tools guys. I, I this is never going to, this is never <laughs> you're gonna not going to fit. You're, you're not offending me. Yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't yeah, care about like doing it. If anybody's like, calling I, bullshit. John's yeah. the only one in here trying to prove he could do this just from his own yeah. prowess. Like, let's. I'm I'm bad at this. I'm not. I don't. Uh, I, not, I don't mind. Anyway, um, so William Hurt is in this movie, and William Hurt is also in Avengers Endgame with Michael Douglas, who shows up right at the end of the movie for the the big final battle scene. And Michael yes. Douglas, of course, is in Falling Down. Correct. What about you, Brent? Well, was I was going to say, yeah, Endgame yeah. was my oh, one Endgame. and done. Nice. Yeah. What, but it's it, John's turn. Oh, yeah. William Hurt is in Endgame. That's right. Yeah. It's, okay. it's very well, brief. Like, in yep. the because be- I had to see, is he, I was like, is he, in, is he only in Avengers 2 or is he in, a, like, was he in any of the other movies? No, they brought Endgame. They brought, like, everybody Every back. Every character. Like, that was, like, it. the thing. They, like, yeah. It took you know, me a minute to get there. It was a curtain or, call for everybody. Uh-huh. All right. I'm going to go without the Marvel, you know, crutch to lean on. I'm going to go fair. Robert Prosky in 
Broadcast News, worked with James Kahn in Thief, which we covered. You can check mm-hmm. it out in the archives at reconsinimation.com, along with Groundhog Day, which we mentioned. Uh, and James Kahn is, of course, in The Godfather with Robert Duvall, who is in Falling Down. There you go. Oh. Yes. Well, it's more uh, than one way to skin a cat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's right. There's another, and then using the tools, I did see there's another one way path. Uh, oh. Albert Brooks and Michael Douglas were both in a movie called The In Laws with Ryan Reynolds and Candy Bergen and. Oh. Uh, and all that, and uh, How dare us for forgetting the in-laws. They're, they, I'm assuming Has they play heard, rival. I've never even heard of the in-laws. I don't think that. I think wraps up broadcast news. I think all thumbs up from this end. So highly recommend it. Check it out. Uh, I think it's streaming. If not, go find your local uh, video store wherever you live and track them down. I bet they'll have a copy, a hard copy you can rent right there, like I'll do from Video Tech in Highland Park. So beautiful the but next week we're going to be or not our next episode we're going to be back with another triangle of huge actors as we get into the holiday season it's finally here we're getting out of uh the month of november we're getting into the the holiday spirit and we're going to talk about trading places Hmm. i'm stoked the Ackroyd murphy curtis classic uh which is a holiday film and we're gonna have a very special guest with us so uh looking forward to that but uh, eddie oh <laughs> eddie's gonna be on the show we got it <laughs> we're getting eddie oh my god fantastic <laughs> will cost but, you one uh, million dollars <laughs> right i'm very excited about that and it's gonna be we're gonna have a kind of a an, a very uplifting holiday season with uh, some lighter movies so it'll, it'll be fun to look back at those of course check us out on social media we're at reconcinimation podcast on twitter instagram facetime all those all those platforms uh check out our archives at reconcinimation.com give us a five-star rating and a review while you're at it it always helps the show and a very special thank you to our friends E.K. Wimmer for the theme music and Curtis Moore for the posters. And with that, we will see you guys next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. From KREC, I'm David Munchak. Bye now. certainly hope you'll die soon. <laughs>